Hey everyone, welcome back to the Dropping and Surf Show. My name is Rob Case. I am a paddling technique coach located in Northern California. And this show, if, if you're new to the show, this show, we, we try our best to, to keep to the topic of math and science in the world of surfing and talk about how it incorporates and, and mainly how it's going to help you. If you can understand math and science in the world of surfing, it's going to help you become a better surfer. Um, and so today we're going to go pretty deep into the science of one particular topic. And it's about fluid. It's about fluid. And no, it's not that kind of fluid, you dirty mind. Um, we're talking about fluid in terms of air and water. And there's a principle about fluid, about its behavior, that if you can understand this, it is going to make you a better surfer because it, it hits every aspect of our surfing experience. And I'm going to go through three different areas where it hits, but let's, let's talk about fluids, the basic principles of fluids, fluids like air and water. I mean, they're, they're kind of the most fair element in the universe because what fluids like to do is they, they just want everything to be equal, right? Its behavior is all based on this principle that fluids want equality, which is crazy, right? So fluids always want to equalize, whether it's water or air. Its main goal is to equalize the pressure that it's experiencing. So the basic principle of fluids, high pressure will move to low pressure so that it will equalize, right? So the greater the difference between the high and the low, the faster that movement is. Okay, so I'm going to repeat this because this is this understanding this for fluids, any kind of fluids, water or air is what we're going to be using as the examples. If you can understand this concept, it should open your eyes to a lot of different concepts that are revolving around surfing. So once again, fluids like to equalize. High pressure wants to move into low pressure. And those molecules will do that faster, the bigger the difference is. Okay. So let's talk about this in three different aspects of surfing. One, surf forecasting. Two, paddling, which is of course my forte. And three, reading and riding waves. So it sounds almost too simple in that I'm telling you, if you can understand this, you're going to improve your surfing in, in, in every aspect of surfing. But if you think about it, surf forecasting is what basically cr what creates a wave, right? How is that going to help you with your surfing? If you can, you know, a lot of people are using really, really good forecasting tools out there. There's Surfline, Magic Seaweed, there's a few others. And they're great and they have their algorithms and they have their historical data that creates the algorithms. But if you can start to combine your knowledge of meteorology with their forecasts, you're going to have a better idea of when to go, 
when the, the waves are going to be the best at your local break, for example. You're going to know where where to go specifically within your local region. And when you can surf better waves, you're going to improve faster. And that's the bottom line. I, I wish that we could all surf great waves all the time. And I'm a big believer in just getting reps in. So even if it's crummy out, get your reps in. But if you take two surfers that are at the exact same level and you have one that surfs a perfect point break all the time and one that surfs closeouts all the time, guaranteed the perfect the point break surfer is going to improve faster. All things created equal, meaning the crowds are the same and what, whatnot. They're catching the same number of waves. So if you can time your surfs, whether it's through work or um, vacations or trips, if you can forecast a little more accurately, you're going to get into better waves and you're going to be better for that. Now, not only that is that the more you learn about where a wave comes from and how it's formed, the better understanding you're going to have when it arrives at your beach. And we're going to talk about it in the third section of how fluids move and how it affects a wave when it hits shallow water. But just even before the wave is created, we want to know what's what's going to be arriving at our beach? What's going to be arriving at our general area? And surf forecasting has everything to do with air and air pressure because air pressure, fluid pressure, creates wind, okay? And, and it actually creates storms and the storms create wind and the wind creates ripples and the ripples get created into bigger waves. And then those wind waves get created into swells. And then guess what? Those swells arrive at our beach and they break into, into waves. So it has everything to do with air pressure trying to equalize. Okay. So that's what creates swell. So I'm, I'm just going to pull up. And I know for those of you that are just listening to this, I'm going to pull up windy.com and I'm going to try and describe what, what we're seeing. So on my screen, if you've ever been to windy.com, you get to see the different wind speeds based off of uh, different colorings. And they have these cool little animations showing which direction the wind is going in. And I also have on the screen, the isobars, the pressure isobars and their readings in millimeters of mercury. So what we're looking at right now is the Northwest Pacific, because I'm California based. And so I'm constantly looking at this general area this time of year to see when those Northwest swells start to crank. I also slide it down into that Southwest Pacific or South, yeah, Southwest Pacific area. So I can see what kind of storms are coming up through past Tahiti and that might hit California from a South swell point of view. I'm also looking at offshore Mexico to see what kind of hurricanes, tropical storms are coming up, right? But at any rate, I'm looking at the Northeastern area of the Pacific up oh, oh, almost to over to, to uh, Japan. And what we see is we see a bunch of different animations, but we're, lo we're looking at high pressures and we're looking at low pressures and in the northern hemisphere just to give you a little bit of education if you're not if you're not familiar with this when you're in the northern hemisphere high pressures will always turn clockwise okay they'll always turn clockwise whereas lows low pressures will always turn counterclockwise in the northern hemisphere in the southern hemisphere it's the opposite lows turn clockwise and highs turn counterclockwise. But what you notice about this is that the areas where 
wind is strongest is where high pressure is moving into low pressure. Okay, and so I'm going to go ahead and just click the animation forward and, and we're going to be able to just kind of watch as these winds are formed and they move across the Pacific. Now, this is the surface winds. We're, we're going to talk just two dimensionally on the surface for right now. And as we get now, we're about 24 hours later in the forecast and things are starting to change drastically. Now we're about we're moving into that 48 hour time period and it's just going kind of every three hours. The animation is changing and I'm actually waiting to get to a particular area where a low develops and it and it really grows and it grows and it grows and you see the wind grow and grow and grow because you'll actually visibly see on the map here you'll see where the high pressure moves into the low pressure now remember what i said earlier about fluids that not only does high pressure like to move into low pressure but the greater the difference the faster the fluid moves so in this case in this animation we're looking at wind we're looking at air and we see a high pressure now i've paused it off of the west coast of Oregon and Washington. And it's kind of a fun, it's not really a circular vortex, it's more like elliptical in a way. And that high pressure is reading at about 768 millimeters of mercury. There's a low west of there that's reading right now in this freeze frame at about 753 millimeters of mercury. All right, so not huge difference right now, but what you do see is you start to see some wind, higher winds develop on the low side, on the, on the, on the eastern side of the low. Remember the lows rotate counterclockwise and the highs rotate clockwise. So the high is actually feeding into this low. Now I'm gonna go ahead and start the animation. We're gonna move it forward a little bit and we're gonna move it forward a little bit more. And now we're a little bit further along. Now the low has dropped to 746 and the high still hangs out at 768. Now the difference is greater. Therefore, the wind movement is greater on that side of the high. So this high and this low, they're hanging out together, right? And the high is like, wait a minute, you're too low. I'm going to try and equalize you. And so it's shoving air into the low to try and equalize it. The problem is, is that that low keeps getting lower and lower and lower and now i've i've advanced it now so that the low is now a 738 millimeters of mercury and the high is around 767 so the high hasn't really changed but the low has gotten lower and lower and lower and you can see all that wind developing around that low and you can see in the animation the coloring is darker it's purple now and in, in the southern end of the low the low has tracked up towards Canada and it's heading towards kind of northern Canada and Alaska. So it's moving away from the California coastline. That's not what I want to see. I want to see it coming towards us to produce swell. But this is just to teach and explain the, the principle that you have the greater the difference, the faster the air moves. Now I've moved it forward. Now the high is 766. So it went from 768 to 766, the high. So it's barely moved. But the low went from seven, what was it, 50 something to now 731. And you can, if we zoom in, you'll see all the different isobars 
that are closer, closer, and closer. And so in the vortex of this low, on the outer vortex, you're looking at uh, pressure around 752. And then as you go in on each layer, 750, 749, 741, and then 731 in the, in the, in the center, in the epicenter of this low. So this is just one example of how air pressure moves from high pressure to low pressure, how, how that movement of a fluid is. And, and if you haven't picked up on why this is important from a surfing point of view, is that you're like, well, I just go to surf line. I just go to magic seaweed, or I just go to, you know, whatever forecasting uh, site that I use. And they tell me when the swell is going to come. Well, that's great and dandy, but, but knowing where they get their information from, knowing what feeds into their algorithms helps you, helps you understand their forecast better so instead of saying oh they're terrible they always forecast wrong well you need to understand why they might be different right why they might be looking at something like this and they're looking at a low that's developing and shoving up into alaska and you know that's four or five days from now that's that forecast well wind changes quite rapidly i don't know if you noticed if you're watching this but you see that other lows and other highs pop up in pretty random places. Why? Because it's not super clear cut. The only thing that's clear cut is that when there's a pressure differential, high will try to move into that low to equalize. And that's happening all around the world. And so what happens is these highs and lows move air around and they kind of just push air into other lows or into other highs and some of them develop into new lows and new highs and some of them completely disappear and equalize but more so it just kind of pushes stuff around and the more that you guys start to correlate what you see here in terms of the track of the storm so the direction the storm is going in and how strong that storm is and how long it blows its wind and that changing of air pressure, the better you're going to understand the forecast that Surfline puts out, the better you're going to understand whatever your uh, algorithm that you subscribe to, you're going to better understand their forecast. And you're going to say, you know what? I think they might be a little off. I think there's gonna, it's going to be a day late. And that way you can be like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to fake sick a day later than I thought I was going to do <laughs> or whatever it may be. You're going to move your work around so that, so that, that you're going to optimize the best days and you're not going to rely on them. Like there's, there's so many times that I look at the surf line forecast and I'm able to go on what they call a port of fair day. And it ends up being a very good day. Right. And why is that is because I'm paying attention to the details. I'm paying attention to the little things like this and I'm able to convert it into something meaningful. So don't let modern technology in these forecasters make you a little bit lazy on learning what meteorology and where waves are coming from. It's a huge learning. Now, one more point about this. Why is it so difficult to forecast wind and weather well because this is this is just the surface winds and we're looking at this two-dimensionally we're looking at an xy map of different pressures and different winds that are are result of the different pressure changes well guess what there's different pressures 
based on the altitude you're at. And so if you think about this three-dimensionally, even within this low that we're looking at here, there are different pressures as you go up in altitude. So I'm, I'm going to take this little slide meter. I'm going to go, uh, let's go 600, let's go hundred meters off the ground. So off the, off the surface of the water. Now there's a lot more wind at this, the low below that low. There's a ton more wind down there. The, the, the pressure on this map doesn't show changes because this is just showing the wind changes at the different heights, the different altitudes, but pressure changes as well. And so if we, if we keep going up, let's go to 1500 meters. You can see it's a different picture now. And then you go up to 9,000 meters above the surface and holy cow, this looks completely different. And now we're starting to see kind of the jet stream level right now. If you get into meteorology that deeply good on you, because then you're going to be able to forecast a lot better, but I'm still kind of like at that lower level, that lower surface level, but you need to think three-dimensionally, right? There are differences in pressure based on the height off of, off of the water. And now the, the other question I get asked a lot about is like once these lows hit land, they kind of, they kind of lose all their gusto. They lose all of that strength and wind. And they, they, they say, well, why is that? Why is when a low hits land, it just kind of goes away? Well, if you think three-dimensionally now, you can see this low. It still has low pressure, but you can see the winds have kind of been like spread out. Well, why is that? It's because there is a solid object that that wind is now running to. And on the Pacific, you can generally say that at the surface on the Pacific Ocean, it's relatively flat. There's not a lot of height. There's nothing. And if there is height, it's height that is movable height. So if wind hits a big wave that's say 100 feet, let's say there's a 100 foot wave somewhere in the Pacific and wind is hitting that 100 foot wave, that wave is going to move moment, moments after that moment. Whereas when it hits land, what's on land that's really, really high that could interrupt the pressure changes? Well, mountains mountains there's a ton of mountains right and mountains don't move so when wind hits mountains now you've got all kinds of different pressure changes from a three-dimensional point of view and that's one of the main reasons why it when something hits land now the pressure changes uh pressure changes change and the wind speed change and you get little like microclimates. I, I know that, you know, growing up here in, in Northern California in the North Bay, I never understood how the coastal mountain range affects wind in my general particular area. So like zooming in on where I grew up and in my little area, I, I would wake up and I'd be like, oh, it's an offshore wind out my backyard. I could see it's offshore. And then I get to the beach down in, in Marin or in, uh, in the city and it's onshore. And I'm like, well, why is that? Well, you get these little, these little eddies that come around Point Reyes and the, the, coastal, the coastal mountain range that change the wind patterns. It doesn't change it in the view that we're seeing here. But once I started to understand this, I'm like, oh, okay, now I get why it can be vastly different where I'm at here than where it is at the beach. Right? So just remember with surf forecasting high pressure moves to low pressure 
And the, f the bigger the difference, the stronger the wind. All right. So hopefully I've, I've got that sunk into your brain. Now let's, let's move on to kind of the next kind of uh, area where I want to talk about this same principle, where it affects us, which is in paddling. Paddling is my forte. So when we're in water, water is a fluid. It's just like it acts just like air. But here's the difference. Air, well, I'm going to say water is 800 to 1,000 times more dense than air. Water is 800 to 1,000 times more dense than air. So while the principle of high pressure to low pressure is, is still constant, that principle is it's, it's happening in water, it's happening in air. We feel it more when we're in water. Water, when we get in the water, it doesn't disappear. It moves out of the way of our leg or our body or our surfboard. Right. So, so think about this. If, if we fill up your bathtub all the way to the brim and then you put your leg in, what happens to the water? It, your leg displaces the area and the volume, specifically the volume that your leg takes up and the water overflows. This is, this is the beauty of, Ar of, of Archimedes principle, right? This is why, you know, he was like, Eureka, I found it. He figured out how to measure volume and therefore figure out whether or not the king's crown is made up of full gold or not and so on and so forth the story goes the point is that water moves out of the way water moves out of the way and that's extremely important to understand so when we get in water in the ocean technically that ocean, that body of water rises. I mean, if you think about it, like in theoretical terms, every time we, we put something in water, it overflows somewhere, but there's so much area on the earth that we don't experience that. But on a micro view, you need to understand that when you are paddling through the water, because you're submerged in the water, you're displacing water, especially at the speeds at which you're, you're paddling. The water's just moving aside. Now, what we need to learn as surfers to make our surfing experience easier. And therefore, if we make everything easier in terms of lower energy, we catch more waves and guess what? We get better, right? So that's just that simple principle of how do I get better from better paddling? You make your whole movement easier, right? The faster we learn to move through water by cutting through it and minimizing drag, which is the first four steps of my level one program, the first four steps are all about reducing drag. We want to cut through that water and not plow through it. When we plow through it, we add drag, we slow ourselves down, we make it harder for ourselves. When we cut through water, we reduce drag. We can't get rid of it completely. We can't rid get rid of drag, but we remove as much as we possibly can, any excess drag. Then we can move through with less effort, right? So that principle right there has everything to do with high pressure, low pressure, right? So as you're moving through the water, you're creating high pressure. Where's the water going to move to? So just think about water being the fluid. You're running into it. It's going to move out of the way. It's going to move to low pressure. It's going to move to the side or down, or it might move forward before it moves out of the way. And that's where you can have added resistive drag, which we don't want. 
So again, the same principle that high pressure likes to move to low pressure, water's just moving out of the way, right? Another, another, and maybe I'm jumping the gun here, but think about a rip current. A rip current has that very distinguished mushroom shape, right? And, it, and what happens is the waves come up onto the beach. They got to go somewhere, right? Right, because the water moves up on the beach. It doesn't just disappear. The water just doesn't disappear and then reappear somewhere else. It's got to go somewhere. And so, where does it go? It comes up the beach, and then it finds the path of least resistance, which usually is the deeper spot in the sand or in the reef, and it funnels all of the water that direction. As it funnels, guess what? It creates high pressure. So maybe it's funneling through a sandbar or maybe it's funneling through two different reefs and it's funneling through and it's getting faster and faster and faster and it's going, where's it going? It's going to low pressure. Where's the low pressure? Out in the ocean, further out, right? And what's happening is it's, it's moving and it's moving and it's moving. It's increasing its speed because the pressure differential is high. It's high, high pressure and it's move, trying to move out to the low where there's no current. And so it's moving, it's moving, it's moving. And if you're, if you're the first water molecules that are going through this little current and you end up now in a deeper water where there's low pressure, then you're good. You're just going to stop there. You're going to stop moving. That current's going to stop. But if you're the, the water molecules that are kind of following and you're that high pressure that's following and you run into your buddies up in front of you and you're like, well, where am I going to go? I can't go to the right or the left because there's waves. Well, I'm going to keep pushing you further and further out. And then the path of least resistance for me, once I get past the waves, is to the right or left. And so I'm going to equalize into deeper water to the right of where my buddy, the high, uh, high pressure water molecules that came before me are. And that's what creates that mushroom shape is that the, the, the water molecules that are kind of coming from behind – they start to mushroom out to the sides because again, they're just trying to equalize. The more water that's moving, the bigger that mushroom gets. But you know, you're not getting pushed all the way across the Pacific. You're not going to end up in Japan if you're in California. No, you're going you're to end up maybe 100 yards off the beach or maybe 200 yards off the beach. But it's going to equalize, and that current will disappear. At the at our local spot at Spot X, rips, they show up all over the place. Right? And the locals that surf there a lot, we know that hey, it's gonna it's gonna equalize at some point, and then it's gonna let me back in. And because of the frequency at which they get created and they disappear, and then they move down the beach, we use them to our advantage to move around in the lineup or to surf a different peak. But at any rate, that's I digress. That's that's more to do with uh, what happens more locally with that kind of example close to shore. And I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to how it affects waves. But that's a that's another example of high going to low. Right? So paddling is water just, you know, water moving out of the way, and what we've got to learn is we've got to learn to move through water with as little effort as possible, and that's by reducing as much drag. And that's the first four steps of level 1. Another area where high pressure moves to low pressure is in the last four steps of the eight-step checklist in level one, which is all about increasing effective propulsion. Now, how does how does pressure have anything to do with propulsion? Well, when you put your arm in the water, 
and you move it from the front of your stroke to the back of your stroke, you are creating high pressure on the palm side of your arm. And we've, I've talked about this in other podcasts that there are two types of propulsion. There is drag force propulsion, which has everything to do with arm orientation and, um, and surface area. And then there's lift force propulsion, which has to do with the pressure differential between the palm side of your arm and the back side of your arm, right? Which the palm side is called the ventral side of your arm and the back side of your arm, back side of your palm is called the dorsal side of the arm. So it has everything to do with lift force propulsion has everything to do with this principle that we're talking about. As you progress through your underwater arm stroke and you're developing more and more high pressure on the ventral side of your arm, the palm side of your arm, the low pressure on the other side gets smaller. So guess what happens when there's a big enough difference between the high and the low, the high pressure molecules move to the low pressure and that creates lift just like an airplane wing. Okay. Your arm works just like an airplane wing. Airplane wing is tilted slightly up. When there's high pressure on the bottom, there's low pressure on top. The faster the plane moves down the runway, the more lift starts to overcome the weight of the plane and everything that's in it and it starts to lift off the ground. Well, our arm works the same way is that as we push backwards, we create lift. We create like water actually moves against our hand when we do this correctly right? Because water molecules, fluids, when the differential is high, more and more fluids move from high to low. Now, the problem that a lot of surfers have, and I've talked about this before, is slipping. And slipping is when you as a human being, having a solid object, your arm in the water, you push right through that high pressure. You push too hard. And so when you push too hard, you effectively do what's called slipping. And you push through that high pressure system so much so that now that part on your ventral side on the palm side of your arm has now lost a ton of pressure and therefore the differential between your ventral side and your dorsal side isn't high anymore and so therefore water water is not moving from your ventral side to your dorsal side anymore and you lose lift force propulsion you still move forward because of drag force propulsion as long as your arm is oriented in the right way and you ha are using enough of it, meaning enough surface area, you're still going to move forward, but you're not going to move forward as effective and you're going to be using more energy without lift force propulsion. So lift force propulsion, huge concept, huge, saves you a ton of energy. It accelerates you more when you use that and drag force propulsion. But that again, is just another example of where this principle of pressure comes into surfing. All right, so we've got surf forecasting, we've got paddling, we've got paddling out to catching waves about the underwater arm stroke, moving through water. All of these things have to do with fluids having different pressures and us understanding how to move through that and how to use that to our advantage. All right, so finally, the last principle I want to talk about is, okay, I've forecasted the waves. I've picked a good day. I show up, I paddle out. These principles also affect your takeoff, your pop-up, but now I'm, I'm riding a wave. Okay, so how does this affect, how can this improve me riding a wave, right? 
all the way until the way until the wave dies because that's what i said i said this principle is present in the entire process of surfing right so let's just talk about waves as they move into the beach actually let's talk about swell offshore so we already know that they the swell has been developed from that storm that we we tracked and it happened far far away and now it's turned into swell and the swell energy is orbital as it goes across the ocean it's these little orbits as that swell and the energy below those orbits starts to feel the bottom the ocean floor what tends to happen is now it's starting to run into something that is solid the ocean floor whether it's sand or reef or rock or whatever it's a solid object that that energy is starting to rub up against okay gosh i can't believe i just used those words okay so think about this the energy is now running into a solid object on the bottom part of this this orbit of this circular motion so what happens is as the waves come into really shallow area is that that energy becomes elliptical why because pressure high pressure it's got to move somewhere so what happens is as as this energy hits this solid object which is the ground it develops a very very high pressure in that energy circle okay so now we know where the high pressure is for the fluid where's the low pressure well it can't be back out to sea it can't go backwards unfortunately because the energy is moving in a certain direction towards land and it's actually being attracted to shallow water so it's not moving to the right or the left so where's the low pressure we we've been talking about this this whole time high pressure likes to move to low pressure and as soon as as that that high pressure is really really high and the low pressure is really really low it that high pressure is going to move there really quickly got to think in terms of fluid right we've got water as a fluid but air is also a fluid and we talked earlier i'm going to circle this all the way back to the very beginning when i talk about how air is a 800 to a thousand times less dense than water less dense is going to provide less pressure so that water is like coming in that swells coming into shallow water and it's feeling the ocean floor and it's going whoa 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 there's tons of high pressure where do i go oh air is really low pressure i'm just going to go up so that swell energy becomes elliptical and that energy because it goes from an orbit like a circle to an ellipse the the height of the swell starts to rise up into the space that air used to occupy because air is very low pressure and that water is now like really really high pressure and so that starts to push up okay <laughs> i know this is crazy but it's the only place it can go right and if that energy is coming into the beach and the bottom bathymetry and i've talked about this on the podcast before if the bottom bathymetry change is drastic guess what happens to the pressure change it too is drastic so if the bathymetry is very drastic it goes from 20 feet to five feet in the matter of I don't know, 10, 10 feet, 
in the distance of 10 feet. Well, gosh, that's going to compress all that energy very, very quickly. That high pressure is going to develop extremely fast. And the low pressure, which is the air, it's got to go somewhere. So it goes up, goes up, right? And it pushes the air molecules out of the way. So the water, which is more dense, is now pushing air molecules out of the way. On a microscopic level, the air is affected by a wave when it breaks. We don't experience that because, again, air is so, it's just not dense enough for us to really see it or understand it. But water is. Water's dense enough. We can feel it. So when a swell approaches the shore, it meets the bottom. It's, the bottom's pretty darn solid, right? That energy's got to go somewhere. The only place it can go is up. The faster the bathymetry changes to compress the water into shallow areas, the more and the more energy moving into that area, the faster th that wave is going to stand up. Now, gravity then says, oh, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute, water. <laughs> you think you're you're awesome, little fluid? Just because you're moving into air space. No, no, no. I'm going to knock you back down. And so what happens is as that swell gets to a certain, like that, so that, that water doesn't just keep going up to fill the space of water. Gravity sets in and then throws either the top over if the bathymetry is very fast or it spills down if the bathymetry, slope of the bathymetry is really low or slow. So again, High pressure moves to low pressure, and then gravity actually sends the rest of it down, right? It's pretty crazy. So with that in mind, just knowing how a wave breaks, if you're riding it, right? Now let's think about if you can watch the way a wave breaks, you can actually determine, and I've talked about this in other podcasts, that you can determine how shallow and how that how, how that uh, bathymetry changes just by looking at the way a wave breaks from the surface. You don't have to go out there and scuba dive down and measure how deep the changes are. You can just look at the way that a wave breaks and you can be like, oh yeah, that's a really shallow area. Oh, that's a really deep area, right? Given the height of the wave, height of the swell. When you're riding a wave, you have to think, okay, if I'm in a shallow area and the bathymetries from deep to shallow really fast, what's going to happen? The swell is going to stand up really fast and it's going to throw over and it's going to barrel. So let's say you're in the barrel and you're starting to come out of the barrel. When you're in the barrel, if you were to slow things down, you can actually see the water pulling up the wave face quite quickly. Why? Because again, high pressure moves to low pressure and then gravity throws it down. Cool. So when you're coming out of the barrel, and the barrels, it stops barreling, and you're looking ahead, and you're looking at the wave face, you'll see that the wave, the water, slows its pace down from moving from the bottom of the wave to the top of the wave. Why? Because the pressure underneath the water, the high pressure, starts to lower. It's still a high pressure because it's interacting with the bottom, and it's still pushing the wave upward toward the air. And at a certain height, and then gravity sets in, right? But if you're coming out of the barrel and you're kind of heading towards, say, a channel 
which is deep water, that pressure that's underneath you, underwater, is starting to alleviate itself. It's starting to equalize. And therefore, the wave starts to disappear. The wave height start, starts to disappear when you ride out into the channel. Right? You can see numerous examples of this all over the place. And when you experience it while you're riding, how does that help you improve? Hey, if you can read a wave better, you're going to know what maneuver to do on the wave, when to do it on. And then it's just a matter of learning the body mechanics of how to do it, which I'm still working on, right? But watching the wave while you're riding, if you can get this same principle, you're seeing this on a daily basis. Every time you go surf, when you're watching waves, you're seeing this principle work. And this principle works all the way until the wave dies. And then technically earlier, we talked about how after the wave dives, dies, it goes up onto the, onto the land and then it's got to go somewhere. And so it creates another high pressure out through a rip current, right? So it, the high pressure, low pressure relationship is everywhere in this world with air that creates the waves. And then once the waves arrive at our beach, we've got to paddle out. So in paddling, that's a big effect to getting up on our feet because what happens is we go from displacement to planing at a certain speed. Well, guess what? There's high pressure on the bottom of the board and there's low pressure above the board and that creates lift. And that's part of the reason why we get to plane. We get to surf. And then when we're riding, there's all kinds of pressure differentials that are happening. In a steeper section of the wave, you can just stand there. And if you angle the board a certain way, you're creating high pressure on the bottom of the board. There's low pressure on the top of the board. And guess what? You move forward down the wave or sideways of the wave. You traverse the wave. That's just called trim. Right? You can release pressure and you can load pressure. Those are the different turns that you do. And not only does this happen... With just the outline of the board and the way that the board is designed, but it also happens off the fins. And this is the craziest thing ever. Remember that whole thing that I talked about with your arm and lift force propulsion? How there's high pressure on one side and low and low pressure on the other side, and high likes to go to low, and that creates lift in that that it goes high to low right? Well, when you do a turn and you load up the fins, guess what? There's high pressure on one side, there's low pressure on the other, and that creates lift and therefore thrust because it shoots out the back of the board and boom, off you go. So when you can learn to use the outline of the board and you can generate speed off of the fins creating lift and they, they everyone talks about drive. That's what they're talking about. A fin or a board that creates drive it's just creating lift in different angles. And that lift, this same principle, high goes to low, high goes to low, high goes to low. It's just different directions of those vectors. That is how we move through water on a surfboard. That's how we move through water when we're paddling. That's how waves are created. That's how waves are formed. That's how waves die. And that's where water goes after it's dead. All right? So pressure... It's a beautiful thing. It's everywhere. And maybe I'm too excited about this, but I love when you have one common theme that threads across everything that we do. And this is one that I've found that's scientifically proven. 
that can help you with your surfing. So just look for this. Think about it. Next time you're at the beach, you're sitting on your board, think about just sitting on your board. What? Where's the high pressure? Where's the low pressure? There's always something trying to equalize. When you feel the wind, well, that's on a macro scale. Where's the high pressure? Where's the low pressure? Why is there wind? When there's a current, where's the high pressure? Where's the low pressure? When there's a wave, where's the high pressure? Where's the low pressure? How high is that high? How low is that low? The bigger the difference, the more extreme that fluid is moving into that low. Cool? So I hope this makes some sense. I hope you get a little bit excited about it. And if you have any questions or you want more examples on how this one principle can affect your surfing in a positive way, just shoot me an email. I've got dozens of examples, man. And I, I would love, love to just keep ranting about this. But for now, I will spare you that extra rant and let you go experiment and observe for your own uh, for your own experiences. And if you have any questions, please reach out, as always. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And until next time, I'll see you in the water.